which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. How many of y'all, uh, and again, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but, but you could say right now you are waiting for something. And I'm not talking about waiting for lunch. I'm talking about, you know, waiting for something in a spiritual sense that, you know, that there's something going on in your life. Maybe there's a dilemma. Maybe there's something that's going on. And it doesn't have to be one of those earth-shattering things. But you're just in a, a stage of waiting. And you're waiting either for God to answer the prayer or do this or send off here. And, and it sounds like you're, in, you know, as a family kind of waiting in the sense that you feel this call to, to go abroad, and, and yet, until God kind of brings out the fullness of that, you're kind of just waiting. I want you to know that if you can answer yes to that today, whether it's a spiritual dilemma, whether it's a spiritual um, uh, you know, challenge, whatever it is, this is the ordinary, it is not the extraordinary. Okay? And one of the things that Satan would love to convince us is the times of waiting for God's people is something that's the extraordinary, that you're just, you know, that he's forgotten you, that somehow this is weird or different. No, if we look biblically, if we start in Genesis, we go all the way through Revelation, Father, uh, folks, we will see that the Father has a waiting people. And one way, we are waiting right now for the return of Christ. Every time that we come and and we take the Lord's Supper, he said, you're, you're thinking about this waiting that is going on even right now. And yet that waiting gets from the very broad of waiting for Christ to return and waiting for that to, to waiting for other things in our life that maybe are much more personal in that sense of it only involves us. And sometimes we wait well and then other times we don't wait so well. How many of you would raise your hand this morning and say, yes, I wait very well. I'm just a good waiter. How many of y'all would raise your hand? Now, I'm raising my hand by example, not a pro- out of profession. Okay. Most of us then say, you know... And all the disciplines, you know, I can run this far every day and I have the discipline of eating well and I have the discipline of uh, having my quiet time and I have the discipline of these things. But waiting is probably not one of the disciplines that I have in my life. Well, this morning we're going to look at uh, in really short kind of a, a passage there. We're going to be kind of going back through some of the Psalms. We did the Psalms in the fall. And we looked at some of those, and many of you said, I, I like this series. And yet we, we did about eight or nine psalms, and now we're going to go back in the summer. We're going to hit them kind of on and off a little bit. But I want you to know that this discipline of waiting truly is a discipline of the Christian life. I believe that it will be one of those things that we will be involved in some form of waiting until Christ calls us home. Whether that is Christ eventually calling all of us his bride to heaven, or whether it is on a personal level that we we leave this earth and we go to our our eternal home, that we will be in periods of time where we are waiting. And we look back in the Bible and we see that this really is not extraordinary. Uh, Sometimes we see waiting involved because of our own misbehavior. You can look at the Israelites and you say, okay, they wandered for how many years in the desert? 40 years, 40 years of waiting to go to the promised land. But we could put an asterisk by that and say, well, you know, that was because they didn't have faith. You know, God was ready for them to go in 40 years beforehand. And there's going to be times in our lives, guys, that waiting is caused by an act of disobedience or a lack of trust or a lack of faith or something like that. And so sometimes waiting is, I won't say it's our fault, but it's, we were very complicit in it. We very much... You know, we didn't have the faith or we didn't make the right choice at the time. So sometimes waiting comes from that. But there's going to be many, many, many times, guys, that waiting is just a part of God 
working in your lives. We, we sing a song this morning about, you know, have thine own way, Lord. And it's easy to sing uh, unless it means waiting. And it means that, that we stay on that potter's will for a long time. And yet we sing that song, hey, mold me and shape me. And yet sometimes some of us are pretty hard clay. And his molding and shaping is always good and it's always wise. And yet the whole purpose of being on that potter's will is that he can shape you and that he can work out impurities. And so sometimes we see that waiting is just a process of God bringing sanctification into our lives, that sanctifying process of becoming more like him. Other times we just see that it's just purely God's will. Now, God calls Noah, remember? God calls Noah to build an ark. Why? Because he was going to flood the earth. How long between the time that he was commissioned to build this ark and the time of the rain started coming and they actually get in the ark and go? Anybody remember? Yeah. It's either 120 years. That's what I've always said. Uh, If you interpret Genesis 5 and 6, there's a couple of passages. You could say 100 years, but it's either going to be 100 or 120 years. So next time that you're waiting for a week or two weeks and you're going, "Uh, this is just unfair. Okay, and somehow you have this compulsion that God should have already acted. Just remember, okay, Noah didn't do anything wrong as far as we know. He was obedient, even against opposition against him. And yet God still had him waiting for the culmination of this call upon his life for 100 or 120 years. Abraham and Sarah. He calls Abraham out. He says, leave everything that's familiar, go to the unfamiliar, and I'm going to make of you the father of this great nation. And your descendants are going to be more than the pieces of sand, little grains of sand on the seashore. Well, that's probably, that's a really great promise. And yet what we see is he's 75 when we kind of see this promise of a child, and, and yet he's going to be well older than that. That by the time that he comes along, or that he, that he sees that promise fulfilled, and he does what a lot of us do. They were going, okay, God, let me help you out. Okay, God, it seems like you need a little bit of help with this. And so there is this handmaiden, Hagar, and you know, I, I thought it was going to be Sarah, but you know, let me help you out. One of the dangers of the waiting time and not really fully trusting God and embracing the fullness of what God has called us to is that we are prone to come up with plan B, aren't we? And plan B is not, is not, you know, what is always best for us. We see other people like Joseph and, you know, where he's in a jail cell and he did all the right things. He was obedient to God. He did all the right things. And yet he stays down in that jail cell for not just a day or two or a week or two or a month or two, but he's down there for years. People waiting over and over and over again. But we can say that about all the Old Testament people waiting for a Messiah. Now us, the New Testament age, the church age, and we're waiting for the return of this Messiah. Awaiting people. So if you, get, if you don't get anything else this morning, please understand this as we get into the Word, that waiting is not extraordinary. It's more of the ordinary. But it is with purpose. God never, never, does anything that doesn't have order and purpose to it. Isn't that good to know that your Heavenly Father, when He's orchestrating your life, when He's loving and leading and directing you, that He never wastes anything? Do you know this? And I can say this theologically. He doesn't even waste our sin. Now, it was never His will for us to sin. But do you know that even my sinful years, 
God will use that in the molding and the shaping of what He's doing in my life. He never wastes anything. Never waste anything. And yet, let us profess, let us confess this morning that sometimes the hardest part about waiting is it seems like it's wasted time. I mean, every time that I sit in traffic, what do you, you know, are you sitting there going, yeah, this is just really good. I got to listen to two more songs this morning. Listen to a little bit more of the news. You know, no, I mean, I was able to, you know, that extra five minutes in, in, in the car, I was able to have extra prayer time. Those thoughts have never crossed my mind. Okay? I'm going, man, this is just wasted time. I'm not getting anything accomplished. And so oftentimes, this is the miscue that we make that we see when God has us in a time of waiting, we see it as wasted time. I understand these two principles from the very beginning before we even get into the Word. Waiting is not extraordinary. It is the ordinary for the people of God. And waiting with God, when we're waiting with God, it's not wasted time. It is the most useful of time. We may not feel that. We may not be able to grasp that all the times. And so with, with that in mind, open to Psalms 37. Now, again, we always, even though, uh, you know, most of the time we were preaching through books expositorily, we're just going verse by verse. In the Psalms, we're skipping around a little bit. And when we hit a Psalm, we're, we may not do verse 1 through 35. And so I do want to give you the context so that we always know the context uh, of all these. And, and this is a Psalm of David, and David is writing in response to people that he sees prospering, and yet these are evil people. Can you relate to that? That sometimes you look out and people are doing wrong. They're not making the right choices. They're not following hard after God. And yet they seem to be prospering. They get the promotion and you didn't. They get the raise and you didn't. They get whatever and you didn't. And so sometimes this creates this part of us that can become very bitter because we think that somehow this injustice has gone on and maybe sometimes we think that we need to bring that injustice to God's attention. Have you ever done that before? I mean, we do it very in our Christianese prayer. God, I just wanted you to know. Uncle Al, you know, he's ruining the family. And, he's, and we start going, you know, we start going, as if God is going, I'm taking notes. Slow up a little bit. We never inform God of anything. And yet... This psalm, in one way, is, 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 is David kind of working on his own heart, but it's kind of his response because he sees evil people prospering. And he's really having a hard time with it. He, he doesn't want bitterness to sink in. He doesn't want to be impatient. He wants to be able to wait well. And yet he needs some help. And so to me, this is a very helpful instruction if we are trying to follow the discipline or develop the discipline of waiting and waiting well a little bit more. But please understand, the context is that he's addressing evil that's going around and the people that are prospering. Psalms 37, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. And so there's a command here. It's not a suggestion, but it really, for the people of God, this is a command. And he tells us three things that, that he really wants us to do in this time of waiting. He says, number one, be still. Number two, wait patiently. And number three, fret not. And that's what we're really going to focus on. You know, how do, how do we do that? 
Okay? And, and understand that this is a command from the Lord. This isn't just a suggestion. This isn't, please don't look at this as it's three steps to waiting well, even though you could kind of frame it that way. These are three things. If you're able to do these things, you will be able to wait well. But don't see it as so much as a to-do list, as this is just the grace of God working in your lives. Because the object isn't for you, Jeff, to start waiting well. The object is for Jeff to trust God and be able to respond to God's holiness by these three responses. Doesn't that make sense? This is a big difference. If we just say, okay, Chris, <laughs> I want you to be still. I want you to wait patiently, and I want you to fret not. I've just put a load on your shoulders that some days you might be able to handle, but other days you're not going to be able to handle. That's not what the instruction of the Word does. When God gives us a command, this isn't weights that he places upon our shoulders and say, okay, this is how you can really be a great young woman of the gospel, Rory, that if you do these three things. No, he, what he says is there's a secret being able to do these three things, and I'm telling you the secret, and that is your relationship with me, your trust in me. You, as you draw close to me, as you trust me, as you know about me, you're going to be able to do these three things. Guys, it is the difference of night and day, and it is such an easy trap to fall into is to hear every sermon, to hear every instruction and command from the Lord as a weight upon our shoulder. Okay, you're only a good Christian if you do these three things. You're only a good Christian if you can wait well, if you can be still, and if you can wait patiently and you can fret not. The whole foundation of being able to do these three things is, is David's relationship with his God. And so this is not a weight to place upon your shoulders to test if you're a good Christian or not. This is an invitation and it's a command for you and I to draw close to who God is so that we will be able to be still and we'll be able to wait patiently and we'll be able to fret not. What we see here again is a man, evil man that is prospering, evil practices, and he seems like he's getting all the raises, he's getting all these things, and... and this apparent prospering of evil is really this, the theme of the whole thing. And David is instructing us to gain another perspective. It, it, it's hard when injustice is going on around us to keep any perspective except for that. All we can say is, okay, God, I just want you to, I'm, I'm just sending a note, making a prayer that injustice is happening. I just happen to be the victim of this one. And I just want you to know. And that perspective is really hard to change. Once you start putting those glasses on, that you're the victim, that, that there's injustice that's being done against you, and it may really be happening. The minute you put on those glasses, those guys, it's really hard to see anything else. The glasses of victimization, the, 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 the glasses of poor pitiful me, they really will color everything about your day. And God says, okay, that's not the lens I want you to, to look through. And he begins to, to, to lead us in this verse. We actually see sometimes that, that time is an enemy, you know, wasted time. What if we put on this perspective from, from God's lens that time was actually the remedy instead of the enemy? Have you ever thought that maybe time could actually be the remedy? That God, as he's molding you, have thine own way, Lord. I am the potter. I mean, you are the potter. I am the clay. 
and that, that he's working out impurities. And this is why it's taking a day, a week, a month, or even years, because he's working something. He's not silent and he does not slumber. He is working something. And what if time was actually the remedy instead of the enemy? It's kind of a novel thought. Could that change your perspective tomorrow morning, knowing that perhaps time is the remedy and not the enemy? Because that's not where I start with. I see time and waiting as wasted time. And so what I need is to gain a a perspective that is not my own, a perspective that goes out of my kind of figuring into what God could be doing in that time. Years ago, um, Nabisco, uh, you know, they make the Oreos. And they were having um, an 85th anniversary many years ago. And uh, this would be something so cool, Jeff, to do with your kids. Uh, the thing was, they would give a million dollars if you could stack 85 Oreos without it toppling. Well, I heard that story on the news, and I'm going, man, I, I think we could do that. I mean, I'll try anything for a million dollars, you know, give me some Oreos. And that, What's the worst that could happen? I've had 85 Oreos to eat afterwards <laughs> as it falls down. And so I'm not real upset at the challenge. And then at the end of the story, they said, Here, here's the catcher, though. You have to do it in 85 seconds. Uh, they did not have to give out that 85, I mean, the, the $1 million. The, no, nobody was able to do it. Uh, isn't that kind of the, the crux of life, though? If it was just stacking 85 Oreos, we're going, okay, some time, some patience, some this, that, and the other. But then you put a time limit on it, and it has to be done in 85 seconds, and all of a sudden there's an urgency. And one of the things that gets us in this sense of urgency of time and why it's hard to be still, and why it's kind of hard to be patient, and it's hard not to fret, is because we do believe that there's a timer going on. Young Mary's class today, we're talking about disciplining our children in the gospel and capturing their heart, not just correcting their behavior. Certainly we would correct behavior, but how do we capture the heart so we really address the sin that's going on instead of just the misbehavior that's going on? And the one thing that we said and every one of the parents in there going, yeah, you know, we agreed. It would take a lot of time. This is going to take a lot of effort. That the easiest thing is stop. Go to your room. I'm going to take away your iPad. You know, the, the immediate behavior modification is somewhat easy compared to changing the heart. Changing the heart takes time. And yet you and I are in this 85-second race, guys, to get this done, to get that done, to, to pay the bills why it's often hard to, to, to be still. Uh, here, here's what, look what he says in verse 8 and 9. It says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourselves. It tends only to evil. In other words, no good thing is going to come from you getting involved in this if, if, you, if you're fretting and you're worrying about this. Verse 9, For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Now what is he doing in verse 9? He just expanded our perspective. He said, in time, in time, the evildoer, he's going to get what's rightly his. But you, child of God, will get what is rightly yours in Christ Jesus. The problem is, he doesn't put a time frame on that. And what if it is that 
Would it be enough that all your rewards and all the injustices of life and everything that was wrong got corrected? Would it be okay with you if that only happened, not in this earth, but only in the, in the life to come? That somehow only then did we see the fruit of all that God had promised his children. And even then it wouldn't be deserved because it's only by grace that we have that. We didn't deserve to have those things. So in one way, it's not even an example of justice because it's the greatest injustice in the world that sinners get to go live with the holy God. But it was made possible through the finished work of Christ. Do you see what he's saying there? For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In other words, in God's time, this is going to work out. In God, in, in time, God will remedy the situation. And so how do we deal with a sense of urgency? You have kids growing up really, really fast. You have other life decisions that are happening around you really, really fast. How do we keep this perspective? Let's go back and see what he says here. In fact, go back into the verse uh, 3, 4, and 5. And I want you to see kind of a pattern that it develops there in verse 3. He says in verse 3, he says, trust in the Lord. He says in verse 4, to delight in the Lord. And then he says in verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. There is a a flow that goes in those verses 3, 4, and 5. One develops out of the other, and the other develops out of the the, the latter. In other words, you don't commit your way to the Lord and then trust in the Lord. No, you have to have to trust in the Lord. It's kind of first and foremost. So it's just the character of God. What do I know about God that I can just say, God, here's my heart. I'm waiting. I don't see action. Maybe even there is injustice going on in your life. And God, I'm just waiting. The call is to trust the Lord. But until there's a trust in the Lord, you can't do. What does it say to do in verse 4? There won't be delight if there's not trust. I'll never forget my wife's face. At seminary, uh, we were living in a, a rented little thing, and uh, the seminary had a, a, a mobile home park. And uh, and I'm just one of these guys. Think of what it could be. Think of what it could be. And uh, so I go and I said, "Hey, one of the mobile homes is up for sale, and uh, and we can buy it." But but and so we got in the car and we're going on. I said, "But just think of what it can be, because guys, it was." It was beyond description. I mean, it really was. If I showed you a picture of it right now, you would go, really? <laughs> You're going to take your wife, your new wife, to, to, to live in that? Because we were just recently married. And here I've carted her off of everything familiar, and I've taken her to this unknown land, and now we're going to live in this trailer that uh, really, it, it, I mean, it was beyond description. But her trust was not so much that that could be a good trailer, but her trust, hopefully, was in me. She knew I loved her. She knew that I cared for her, that I wanted to provide, even on a seminary situation, a home for her, my new bride and my new wife. She would not be able to delight in that. And it took us a while to delight in that mobile home. We, we had to do a lot. We had to kind of renovate it from top to bottom. Uh, by the end, it, I, I, would, I wouldn't say that it was the envy of the mobile uh, home park, but it was up there in the top three. I, I'm convinced that it was at least in the top three. But but you cannot delight in, unless there's a trust. Does that make sense? There's a trusting 
and from that trusting comes a delight. Then, in that delight comes a commitment to your way. Because what kind of, whose way is it? God's way. Do you see the flow there? I don't think he's just kind of saying, hey, here's three things you can do for God. I think he's doing a natural kind of reforming, a shaping, if we want to take the song today, of this pottery. And he says, okay, I want you to trust me. Okay, God, I'm trying to trust you. I'm waiting. I have the unknown. I have a thousand questions. And then we trust God, and so we move forward. We take that next step, and we begin to delight in it. And maybe it's not even finished yet. Maybe God has not fully brought about all the finished thing, but we can start delighting in it, and we can eventually commit our way to his way and maybe give up that perspective of our own way and even what we thought was correct and right. Now go back to verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries uh, out evil devices. Let me get, break these uh, three things down here that he tells us about, and then we'll uh, put them in our hearts to, to go and, and live out this week. The first thing he says is be still before the Lord. Uh, the Hebrew and the, the literal Hebrew there says be silent and grow dumb. Now think about that. Let, that. let that sink in a little bit. Be silent. We get that out of be still. But in the Hebrew it says be, be silent and grow dumb. Why would God ask us to be dumb? Why would he, in this instruction, to, 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 in a time of waiting, say, okay, I want you to be still, which is hard enough. Then to grow dumb. Anybody have a thought of what that could mean? I mean, I'm actually, it's not rhetorical. I'm actually asking. No preconceptions. Don't try to fix it. Surely he doesn't mean that, Tracy. I was hoping for any answer except for that God. Don't dwell on it. Yeah. Just scroll down. Don't try. How many of you, again, try to help God by either informing him of things that we think God should be informed of, or, God, have you ever thought about doing it this way? And sometimes I think that we really are earnest in that. I think that we're really sincere in that. And yet, we just trip over every attribute of God and who God is when we do that. He's fully aware. He's more aware than we could ever be aware. And so when he says be dumb, he's not saying, you know, he, he's not saying that as a cut. It's what he's actually telling us at that point is that, that we would confess that we don't have all the answers. And I don't know about you, but that's a hard one for me. In a world that wants you to answer, in a vocation that calls you to be the answer man, people come to you, hey, Bobby, what, would you do? what, do, you, what do you think we should do about this? It is easy to fall into the trap, especially as a pastor. Well, I'll say this. It's easy to fall in the trip just as a man to say, oh, well, here's what I'm thinking about it, you know, and that somehow we just think that that's the right thing. And to grow dumb, to grow dumb and to admit and confess, God, I, I don't have the answer here. I confess I do not have the answer. The second part of that is he's saying grow dumb. I don't expect you to have all the answers. There's a release there. This is the grace of God. This is the love of God. 
This is why it's not a weight that he places on your shoulder and say, okay, you better be still this, that, and the other. No, he says, actually, he says, grow dumb. Radley, grow dumb. In other words, you don't have all the answers. That's part of the truth and the confession. But I want you to know you don't have to have all the answers. There's our release. There's grace working in our lives. When God commands us, be dumb here. He's not saying offensively. Would you expect your two or three-year-old, your seven or eight-year-old, would you go to them with the family finances and, and say, okay, you figure it out. Mom and I, we are left with no answers. So here's, what, here's her check, here's my check, here's the bills, you figure it out. I don't think your parents have ever put that upon you, have they, Rory? In fact, maybe in, in times that things were really stressful, you wanted her to be dumb. I don't say that in an offensive way. But would, would it not follow this? Hey, let's just let her be dumb because she's a kid. This is not a weight upon her shoulders. Is this not the grace of God, guys? So, so when he commands us, understand, it is a command. You be still. But it is an invitation for release. The second thing that we see there is that it, it gives up uh, that, that we have to have our angle or our insight. And so we start with this truthful confession. And God just says, look, this is not for you to have to, to figure out. Let go of you trying to figure out. That's what being still and being dumb is. That's the invitation that he gives us here. The second thing he says, wait patiently. And here, again, he's asking you to change your mind about waiting. The word repentance, oftentimes we say repentance is I was going one way and then I stopped and I went another way. And that's the result of repentance. What repentance is, is a heart and a mind thing. Repentance is I'm going this way and this way is not right and profitable to me. And so repentance is changing your mind that this is the right direction and that you change your heart and your mind and you say, no, this way is the right way. The result of walking in the other direction is the result of repentance. Here, when he says to, for us to wait patiently, he really wants us to repent of this mindset and this concept that we have that waiting is wasted time. Now, I'm still not convinced that waiting for a restaurant for 30 or 45 minutes isn't wasted time or in traffic. But in the things of God, in spiritual life, he wants us to change our mind, to repent, to change the way that we think. What if waiting wasn't the ill? What if it was actually the remedy? What if it wasn't the enemy? And what if it was actually the remedy that God said three more days three more weeks or maybe even three more years that it was part of God's answer. Dustin's not in here, but, uh, and Craig's not here today. He's at the beach. So my two pit masters. Anybody else a pit master in here? How do we, how do we cook barbecue? Two words. Low and slow. Have you ever been tempted not to go low and slow? I mean, Radley, we're cooking low and slow. We know that that, that, that Boston butt there, you know, 10 hours is what it's really, it's going to hit its peak at 10 hours. And yet at eight hours, I mean, it's really almost to the temperature. It smells so good. And have you ever been tempted to go ahead and take it out? 
this last time that I cooked Boston butts and, and did barbecue. I said, you know, I'm going to leave it in there those two extra hours. It's already reached temperature, but instead of 195, I'm going to let it get to 205. Because I'd read that in a couple of different places, and it took about an hour and a half, two hours more. It was the best that we've ever had. And I was, I was sold. Now, I'll be challenged with that next time, because at nine hours, I'm going to want to take it out. It's reached temperature. It's edible. It's good. But those last two hours... Oh, man, that's when it really started to marinate and whatever happened in those last two hours was magical. What if waiting was the remedy and not the enemy? We need to change our minds, so that's what it means, wait patiently. Change your mind. Change your perspective. Repent of thinking that waiting is wasted time. Change your perspective and just trust God. Then we get to that last one. Where it says fret not. Literally means to, to not burn. Every one of us has a worry thermometer in our mind and our heart. And uh, something comes along that we're waiting on, and that worry thermometer can go up to 180 degrees really, really fast. Okay? And, and the instruction here, the command here, is to fret not, to worry not. Easier said than done. And, and yet the instruction here all goes back to what he said in verse 3, 4, and 5. Trust in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. And commit your way to the Lord. We will worry if we don't have a trust in the Lord. And I promise you, we will never delight in the Lord's ways during a time of waiting if we don't think that it's useful and that it's actually part of the remedy and not the enemy. And I promise you, we will not do the the last part, verse 5, where it says we will commit our ways to the Lord. No, we will do what Abraham did. We will find a Hagar. We will find another plan B that is morally okay. I mean, you have to understand a lot of people say, well, man, that was just wrong. He should not have gone off with his handmaid. That was part of the culture that day. Abraham didn't do anything morally wrong when he did not wait with Sarah to have a child. And he went to Hagar. He morally or culturally, there was not anything wrong with that. I want you to understand that. But it was wrong because God had said, trust in me. And there's going to be a lot of times in our lives that, guys, plan B is not morally wrong. It's not a, you know, a wrong that's offensive. It's just not what God has for you. And so it is wrong in that sense. Don't, don't belittle the, I'm not belittling the fact of what he did with Hagar. I'm just saying you have to understand the culture that his impatience gave him in his mind a very good plan B. And we will never commit our ways to the Lord, to the Lord's ways, until we have trusted him, trusted his waiting, marinating in that and waiting, and then committing to that. Does that make sense? So kind of the challenge as we start the summer. <laughs> I don't know what you're waiting on this morning, but, but I know, again, these are not three steps to waiting better. It all comes back to verses 3, 4, and 5. The secret is not develop this muscle of waiting. It comes back to developing your relationship with a holy God, knowing him and his character, knowing his extreme love for you, knowing everything that he is trustworthy, knowing that he never wastes anything so that you can take off the glasses of perspective that you're looking on and get the Lord's perspective. 
And when we're able to do that, it's not a load that he's then put upon our shoulders to bear. No, it's an invitation to release it and to be dumb and to be still. So, okay, God, I, I trust you. And I actually even delight in this. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not in the delight. I'm, I'm not delighting in waiting yet. Um, I'm still struggling over that, praise the Lord, and I want to delight in that. But as we would know that that's the goal, okay, God, just give me a heart that can delight even in waiting. What would God do with that prayer in your life this morning on what you're waiting for? God, give me a trust in you and who you are, not in this situation, but totally who you are. My eyes are only on you and not my situation. I trust in the Lord. If we prayed, God, will you give me a delight in my waiting? Because naturally, I'm not going to come up with any, I see this wasted time. So will you give me a delight? Would God want to answer that prayer? Would God always want to answer prayers that are following his commands? Yeah. And then don't be surprised that when God begins to work that maturity and that discipline in our life, that we find ourselves in verse 5, where we say, okay, God, I, I commit my way to the Lord, and it was actually different from maybe the plans that we had. Great challenge. And yet, a trustworthy God. A trustworthy God. He wastes nothing. You will not get to heaven one day and do a review of your life. Again, I don't know how God's going to do it. And he will say, Jeff, oh yeah, I forgot. About it. That was about a waste of five minutes right there. We will not stand before the Lord one day and ever God point back to a period of our life when we thought we were just waiting endlessly. And God said, yeah, that was just kind of a, a little simple time of, of uh, nothing. I was doing nothing. his glory and for your good. Always working things for his glory and for our good. He's kind, he's compassionate, he's loving, he's holy. He is overall, he is providential and he is sovereign. And he is trustworthy. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, will you give us an attitude of worship while we're waiting? Not just tolerance. Father, if if this word, Father, if your commands and your invitation, Father, if we really took it to heart, Father, what would that look like if we could worship while we were waiting? Father, it wouldn't be because of the circumstances. It would be because you are a trustworthy God and you're worthy of our worship. So, Father, today I I pray that uh, for those who are really drastically waiting Uh, this morning. Father, all of us are waiting in some sense, but Father, there are some here this morning that they're really at a crucible, a kind of a crisis point in their life, and they're waiting. And Father, I pray that you would give them, by the gift of your Spirit, Father, by the power of your Word, the ability to to think differently. Father, they would not see waiting as time wasted is the enemy, but Father, that you might be able to see then that you are working this creation on the potter's will. You're working out impurities. You're working out beautiful things so that the finished creation, Father, when you take it off that will, is something that brings you glory. And Father, I thank you for the release that you said, okay, be still, Bobby, and, and be dumb. 
confess that you don't know it all, but also, Bobby, I release you from having to know it all. So, Father, help us now. Help us this morning to worship why we're waiting and not just tolerate the time of silence, a time of uh, endurance, that we just look to you and trust you implicitly with our lives. We pray this in the blessed hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.